welcome, and welcome back to The Plunge. We're here to discuss the shitty pre-Christmas week in politics and pop culture. Donald Trump Jr. ruined all of our appetites by posting a picture of himself with an eerie, melted candle fuck named Ted Cruz and a distorted Obama cookie. His fail-son counterpart, Wyatt Koch, also took to Instagram to discuss what it means to be bold and to inflict his tacky clothing line on all of us. Sorry, folks, but we're talking politics today. Doug Jones and Ralph Northam revealed themselves to be sniveling swine, selling out their voter bases seemingly overnight. We'll talk about the failures of the centrist Democrats and rip on a truly heinous article written by Bill Schur on that topic. Lastly, Bob Corker stole over a million dollars from taxpayers for his crappy pass-through companies. Our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family. In the pop culture corner, we're talking Star Wars again, just like everybody else. But we will keep it funky and pick apart the overt Hashtag resistance allegory in The Last Jedi. Spoilers may be dropped, but they'll be funny. So listen, anyway, if you haven't seen the film and you aren't rapidly avoiding plot points a week after the film came out. In the same vein as Star Wars' evil First Order, our story time this week focuses on totalitarian evil. Sam will tell you all about how his first visit to the seat of U.S. imperial power, the White House ended in a life lesson about the state's love of the use of force. It's all that and more on today's episode. Plug in, listen up, and get ready to plunge. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, we say it all here on The Plunge. It's episode 10, Sam, we've entered the double-digit realm. That's true. It's episode 10, coming at you hot this pre-Christmas week. Uh, this is the time of year when I'm like frantically reading all the books that I like purchased for myself but with the intention of giving to someone else, but I still want to read the book. No, oh, that's a great strategy, actually. Yeah, I'm a bit of a tactical genius when it comes to everything, but including Christmas presents. So this was a week of so much shit and, like, mind-numbing, like, garbage. So, we're not going to be talking about Robert Mueller, so if he's been fired by now, because it's, uh, you know, a slow uh, news weekend, uh, well, that's the breaks. Fuck him. <laughs> uh, Dan, I actually, on, not to interrupt you, but on a, uh, on a Mueller fucking uh, tangent, um, I've been seeing a meme of, like, it, uh, it's on one side it's robert mueller in vietnam 
and he's supposed to look like heroic he's got like his you know his fucking like gun and he's like young looking and tall and then on the right is a picture of donald trump like playing for like the like getting a trophy for the bowling league and (laughs) Like when he's like a teenager. (laughs) I mean, the implication of like, oh, it's better to like fight an imperialist war abroad um, with dubious moral concerns than to just like play, do bowling is that's, that's heinous. I think the meme is heinous, but the picture of Trump is pretty much worth it. (laughs) That's so funny because the only um, Miller meme that I can remember now is the day they announced they were pressing charges against Flynn, uh, someone on Facebook I saw posted like a, a an, an It's Miller time meme, but it said It's Mueller time, and it's him as like Superman. <laughs> it's just such shit. Yeah, no, you're right. I think around the same time I saw an Onion article that was like, uh, you know, Mueller white-knuckled, like clings to the top of the presidential limo, like with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Like, people do think he's a bit of an action hero. But um, on the topic of memes, we've got a very weird picture here of Donald Trump Jr. at a restaurant with Ted Cruz. Shocking, folks. This is this should be front page news. We're going to talk about UFOs in this show. We're going to talk about fucking Doug Jones and Ralph Northam. But, like, this Ted Cruz, Donald Trump Jr. cookie picture is rocking Washington. It's true. The picture of Obama on this cookie, it's like the the hope picture, you know, like the famous, uh, I guess, campaign poster that he used in 2008. But it's a very distorted image of it. Um, right, so it's that, it's that hope image, uh, that red, blue, white, white. Uh, icing uh, on there, along with that sort of dark blue uh, shadow shading on the hair and suit of the Obama. It looks like a delicious cookie, but the art is quite questionable. So the owner of the restaurant, which is called Le Bilbo Quay in Dallas. The docks. Uh, to... <laughs> I doxed it, yeah. <laughs> Um, took to social media. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. is the one who docks it in his, like, dipshit Instagram picture. <laughs> I'm like, it's not my problem. But, uh... <laughs> okay, so the owner took to social media, took to Facebook, to say, both Donald Trump Jr. and Ted Cruz were attending a birthday celebration of one of our regular patrons who oh rented out God. our venue for a private event. The party was not for either one of them, nor was it any kind of partisan rally. Unfortunately, I was not working yesterday, and I could not intervene in the unfortunate circumstances that Just it imagine unfolded. him, like, diving into them, like, no! No! Yes. Stop! The, stop the cookie! And, like, he, like, tears the cookie in half. Yeah, he just chucks that shit on the floor. Uh, <laughs> the party was not for either one of them, nor was it any kind of partisan rally. Unfortunately, I was not working yesterday, and I could not intervene in the unfortunate circumstances that unfolded. But, <laughs> like, what? It's a shitty cookie. Like, I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm not sensitive to how this is, you know, racist. But I think the cookie's just fucking stupid and weird um, that unfolded. But I believe I owe you an explanation and an apology. Corso added that he is French and that his wife is Mexican and that they, quote, believe in universal values of love, respect, and tolerance that they have found in Dallas. Jesus Christ. 
if you need to disclaim the fact that number one, France is not French is not like an oppressed identity. Like you're a fucking like imperialist Western European white nation. <laughs> like it doesn't make you ethnic in any way. I don't see what he has to apologize for himself, though, especially if apparently, like, Trump Jr. bought the cookie elsewhere. Or, okay, okay, can I read Trump Jr.'s Instagram post featuring him? Let's also describe, Dan, give me your read on Donald Trump Jr.'s face in this picture. Because that's he's the most wearing, shocking thing. Right. He's wearing, like, a Patagonia, like, fucking <laughs> bullshit thing. His face is, like, scrunched up and, like, doing, like, a kind of, like, angry face with his head cocked. And Ted Cruz is there, like, dead-eyed, soulless, like, husk of a human being in a beige suit. Top button, unbutton, no tie on both of them. It's casual hour. And they're both posing with this, like, grotesque cookie with Obama's hope uh, caricature on it. And Trump Jr. writes on Instagram... With friends like these, some good friends decided that while my birthday is not for two weeks, that they would get me an early 40th birthday cake. And what birthday is complete without an Obama cake? I figured it was so good that I would have to share it with Ted. Hashtag Texas. Hashtag birthday. Hashtag Ted Cruz. Hashtag Obama, hashtag cake. I, 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 I hope that he means cake like Ted Cruz, like he wants to fuck him. Oh, for sure. But wait, is that even a cake? I don't think it's a. It's a cookie. It's absolutely Maybe a cookie. Too much into it. <laughs> One of the comments is just douche <laughs> with a period. <laughs> Shout out H Connor, whoever put that up there. <laughs> the owner said he also feels be- betrayed and sad. <laughs> Fuck everyone like, involved in this story. It's ridiculous. And if people feel that it's racist, then it's racist. I don't care. Fuck Ted Cruz, fuck Donald Trump Jr., and fuck this stupid Texas for sure. cookie place. For sh- anytime they're making fun of Obama, like they're they're racist. They're probably making fun of him for racist reasons. Texas, Dallas specifically, is a racist ass city. That's where fucking uh, Richard Spencer's from. They have a shitload of Confederate monuments, even though like nothing of Confederate import happened in that stupid city. Like total waste of our time. We fucking like entertain the idea that dallas isn't racist yeah before you get all defensive like this owner why don't you like acknowledge that there is some like problematic elements of where you live before you're like no i'm, I'm french i'm french <laughs> you're not in a pre- <sighs> anyway all right we have to move on sam because this story is too big to miss it's wyatt coke who <laughs> Uh, page six of the New York Post reports that Wyatt Coke of the Coke family, the Coke brothers, he's not one of the Coke brothers, by the way, he is the heir to one of the large fortunes possessed by the brothers, sued his ex-fiance to get the giant wedding ring he bought her back. <laughs> Sam, give me, give me everything you know about this pudgy boy. <laughs> well, I mean, he's the like uh, he's an epitome of like what um I mean like a fail ch- son. He's a fail son, but in like a like a rich kid fail son. You know, like you can't they can't actually fail. Like he has this he so his brand 
Um, of course, because he has a brand. He, doesn't, he, he needs to have a brand, despite the fact that he's probably never going to have to actually work in his life. But um, his brand is like these terrible T-shirts. you got to find a picture, Dan. One of them literally has sacks of cash on it. It's like a short-sleeve green T-shirt. The sleeve is like cut on the bicep, even though this guy's not jacked or anything. He's like a chubby like ginger fail son as we just said yeah he needs the um, room for the arms but like no he has this video we can link to the audio from this even though i think every fucking like lefty podcast has already linked to this bullshit be bold means to me be authentic be real be yourself be confident and always be a gentleman but still have that tenacity that no one can take away from you I want my shirts to be able to be worn in the boardroom or in a discotheca or a nightclub or on a yacht. But him, like, describing how you could wear these shirts to, like, a boardroom or, like, a business meeting. I'm like, dude, you could wear this, like, fucked up Hawaiian shirt to a board meeting because your dad is, like, the head of the fucking board. <laughs> like, it's not a privilege that extends to anyone else besides you. You could, like, go on a bender and, like, like you know, like, te- like ch- have a Chappaquiddick moment and, like, nobody would fucking get, get you in trouble. For sure. And Shout out the trailer for Chappaquiddick if you haven't seen it. That movie looks amazing. Is that the J- the what the um Ted Kennedy? Thing? It's about Ted Kennedy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because Chappaqu- I used to go to Martha's Vineyard as a kid. Uh, like Chappaquiddick's right up there. That was like big news back in the day. Yeah, I'll link to that trailer in the show notes. I really think people uh, are gonna be talking about this movie in a, in a, whenever it comes out. Yeah, we'll probably wind up revisiting that for pop culture, but um. But yeah, this kid, uh, apparently the ring is pretty expensive. The one he's suing for, it's worth like $180,000 or something. Holy yeah. shit, he also wants $15,000 in like what I assume are emotional damages. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she left me. I don't know how you can be so both like pudgy and like puny and like, he's like so small but so large at once. When you're just like a walking marshmallow, with like uh, like money coming out of like your dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess uh, his Instagram's probably been getting lots of hits because everyone's like roasting him. But in the I last know. few days, he's become relevant because he is the poster boy of who's going to benefit from the GOP tax bill, right, Sam? It, it's true. Yeah, he is. Basically, this guy has emerged as the uh, face of the heinous GOP tax bill that just got passed. Um, David Roth sent out a tweet that's been getting a lot of attention. It said, uh, congratulations to this Coke heir who's going to become like $75 billion richer in the next few days. Uh, Specifically, he was referring to um, heirs not having to pay estate taxes on inheritances up to $22 million. So I think he's exaggerating that number a bit. But um, either way, uh, that's been making the rounds. And that brought up, I think, the preposterous video about him talking about his stupid-ass shirts um, and also the fact that he's Well, right, because he technically his... is a small business owner. Right, exactly. And um, he, and of course, also the story about him suing his wife for that like like 200 grand engagement ring. Um, or is, yeah. Anyway, uh, he's just... He's a trash man. He's an, he's indicative of the times that we are in. Can't um, wait until his his first DUI. 
<laughs> even his first that kid definitely has like plenty it's, but i mean imagine like, you get pulled over and like where like Co- like cokeville they see your last name they like see you not getting a ticket like or if you do like it couldn't even what the ticket could be like would have to be in the millions for it to even begin to affect you they'd probably just like hand him their gun and be like do what you want sir <laughs> you're an american hero sir in my state, Virginia, uh, my current adoptive state, where this really crazy thing happened, a single vote decided the the ninety fourth district race after a recount. Like a Democrat named Shelley Simons um, emerged from the recount, the apparent winner in the ninety fourth House district, um, seizing it from Republican Dave Yancey. So turning like another seat in the uh, virginia house and giving the democrats like a top like now it's 50 to 50 in the house in the virginia house and uh she won it by just one vote but in general virginia i think like our elections um were seen as a referendum on trump the idea was that because people hated trump so much they all just voted for democrats and uh, a lot of people were unseated, most notably someone like Danica Rome um, from Prince William County, who unseated like a like a fucking like fifteen term incumbent. Uh, and support, the first... she's the transgender candidate who won and had that moment where she didn't disparage her uh, opponent. Yeah, she's also metal. She's in like a thrash metal band. Um, that was like a big. That was like a a draw in the area prior to her even like running for this shit. Um, but she, and she ran an issued forward campaign that like propel that allowed her to unseat that guy. And in general, there's been a lot of focus on Virginia state politics. People think that this is like the beginning of the end of the Republican stranglehold on uh, government on at all levels in the United States at this point. Uh, <laughs> Ralph Northam is a fucking pussy bitch, and he fucking. Um, has basically equivocated on his campaign promise to expand Medicaid in Virginia, which is important to, like, 400,000 Virginians who would stand to benefit from the expansion of Medicaid. Like, that's, if you don't how have... The fu- how the fuck could he be so cocky as to renege on his promise to expand Medicaid? Isn't that why so many people voted for him? Has anyone even challenged him yet, Dan? No one has been like, hey, buddy... Uh, we're going to have to have you walk back. Like, he walked it back preemptively is the most fucked up thing about this. Um, I'm going to quote from the Washington Post. Uh, they said, Virginia governor-elect Ralph Northam has the weight of a Democratic landslide to throw around in the state capitol, but he's holding back. He could f- pluck a few Republicans out of the General Assembly, where the GOP is holding on to the majority by a thread, and give them jobs in his cabinet to tilt the balance of power towards Democrats. He could t- try to ram through a broad expansion of Medicaid and other Democratic priorities, but Northam says he is not looking to vanquish at the other side. After an ugly gubernatorial campaign ended in a surprising Democratic sweep that reverberated across the nation, voters don't want showboating, he said. Virginians deserve civility, Northam said Friday on his first extended interview since he beat Republican Ed Gillespie by nine points on November 7th, over a month ago. He said, they're not, they're looking for a moral compass right now. And I, you're, you're quiet, Dan, but I am like shaking with rage. No, I'm just kind this. of like, I'm just trying to like take this in. I don't understand why he would choose this route other than 
he feels that now that he's in office, it's better to just take the blandest, most centrist sort of, you know, bipartisan positions. It really is, like, mind-boggling to me. Um, It's almost like the purpose of, you know, once you get elected, I mean, these people spend a lot of time fundraising, perhaps uh, trying to be as inoffensive as possible just leads them to, you know, court donors by shedding anything that, um, you know, would rock the boat at all. No, I think you're totally right. And um, that's a kind of a theme of what we're about to get into as far as our political stories. Now that we're done with, like, the meme stuff, um, these are all the, like, the, the Democrats and Republicans that people in, uh, you know, your pundits have all been saying are going to, like, save us from Donald Trump or save us from, like, our right-wing demise in the future. Um, and we're here to kind of destroy that illusion. Um, I mean, like... You see it right there. He He's taken a month to come out. He has this massive mandate where he wins the state by nine fucking points in this day and age when Republicans are winning everything. And he comes out for the first time to say, like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to do any of the shit I said I was going to do. Um, basically signaling to the people he beat, like, hey, I'm here for you. Like, you're, that's not the point of politics. They literally said in this stupid article he could shift the general assembly um like by giving them jobs in his cabinet to tilt the balance of power towards democrats and he won't do that because democrats as we've said on the show before don't know how political power works and they don't use it and whenever they win it doesn't even fucking matter and that's why these bland centrist candidates like ralph northam and doug jones are pretty disappointing to uh you know, uh, some old lefties like us, because we want people who are actually going to create some tangible change and not just renege even the most base um, promises of their campaigns. I mean, I don't think it's even just limited to, like, people, like, that are farther to the left. Like, with, with like, at most liberal people I know, um, they constantly act like they're under this state of, like, siege from, like, all these right-wing forces. But then as soon as they have any opportunity to resist those forces and roll back kind of like what is really like a revanchist like takeover of government they just they're like oh well we need to be civil and hear out the other side and it's just like like this is why you lose am i wrong in kind of relating this to chuck schumer siding with trump about israel or is that just (laughs) yeah am i off no, I think you're. On, I think you're on to something. Uh, did you see Felix Biederman post that video of him simply doing this like Schumer impression? And he's like, my, my friendship with Trump has sh- has soured. Uh, well, let's just link to the audio, yeah. but it's it's really funny. Uh, my friendship with uh, Donald Trump has entered a probationary period. Anyway, uh, I guess across the aisle we've got um, Bob Corker. Oh, that asshole. <laughs> what a fucking asshole this guy is. Bob Corker. Dan, can you remind me why people liked Bob Corker? Like, he did something to Trump. Right, so Bob Corker just generally, I guess, has had his sort of moments of being competitive uh, with Trump uh, in public. Sort of these verbal spats, uh, Corker going back and forth about endorsing him, but saying, I don't endorse him, but I support him uh, in April when he was running. 
<laughs> it's just really ridiculous. Uh, apparently, he was promised a cabinet position at one point, and that never occurred. In May, he was quoted as saying the White House is in a downward spiral. So Corker's been one of these guys like Jeff Flake, who he's, you know, he's coming from the right side of things, but he's willing to come back and verbally will say Trump is very bad and <laughs> liberals will clap and, you know, hashtag resistance people will give me the old pat on the back, but he's not doing anything to resist him other than, you know, occasionally saying to the press, like, hmm, I don't know, it's not very good. The bar is so low for resistance membership. You just have to be like, at some point in your life, have some vaguely ambivalent thought about Donald Trump and you're in the resistance. If you have any, like, opinion on Donald Trump that's less than, like, pure love and adulation, or adulation, then, uh... You're in the resistance. Trump apparently, oh, I forgot about this one. October 8th, 2017, Trump tweeted this. Senator Bob Corker begged me to endorse him for re-election in Tennessee. I said no, and he dropped out and said he could not win without. Hence, I would not fully expect Corker to be a negative voice and stand in the way of our great agenda. Didn't have the guts to run. See, Trump is fucking right because they convinced Bob Corker in the in the fucking house to vote for that stupid tax bill that passed. Um, and specifically, the story behind it is that a new provision in the GOP's tax bill, I'm quoting from Splinter News, includes a 20% deduction for pass-through businesses like LLCs and LPs, which are businesses that Senator Bob Corker, who was previously reluctant to vote for the tax bill, operates. Um, after the provision was added to the bill, Corker reversed his position on a bill that he said was, quote, far from pat perfect last Friday. So um, he is apparently staying to uh, the numbers I've heard are like all in the six figures. Like the lowest I've heard is he stands to get like a one million dollar tax break on this fucking tax bill that he's voting for. The kicker is that he's not even a necessary vote on it. Um, it, it's like he gave them two votes up on it in the Senate and people were saying it's because they didn't, Mitch McConnell is such like a fucking like political shark that he didn't want people to even be able to say like, oh, uh, the only reason the tax bill passed was because Doug Jones didn't get seated in time, which is what people were going to say. On Tuesday, he was on uh, CNN with like Wolf Blitzer and he just either completely admitted he's entirely incompetent as a senator or he uh, is just uh, wholly lying. He said, first of all, I knew nothing about the provision. I've had no involvement. It actually came out of the House. It was part of their House bill when they did the reconciliation. It was merged in and altered slightly to make it conform. Senator Hatch just put out a statement saying I had no input in that whatsoever. So, like, what the fuck is your, what is your purpose then? When yep. you personally stand to benefit, you, you had no idea of that? It's just, like, completely implausible. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, it's naked corruption. It's pretty fucked up. It really makes me just so pessimistic about our government's ability to, like, make anything better uh as long as like a few dudes stand 
to get richer. I'm even more defeatist about it than think of all the people who voted for this, even though they didn't get the million dollar tax cut, right? Like every, all the Republicans just fucking fall in line because they know their place. They know their purpose. They know how power works and they know what they want. And like, it doesn't even like Bob Corker, at least, you know, I I honestly kind of think like at least he held out till he got the million dollar tax cut. Like there's gotta be a fucking reason for this. It's just, it's so disturbing. (laughs) Yeah. I don't trust these pieces of shit for one second, but uh, what else is new? I mean, it's no surprise that we don't like Bob Corker. Or any Republican, or, I mean, like, almost any congressman at this point. Like, the, the pickings are pretty fucking slim. Tweet at any, either of us with a good Republican. Like, a single one. Or even like a good... Any. Yeah. Or a, like, well, a, a good Democrat. I don't yeah. know. That, that's... Even a good Democrat's tough. Alright, Sam, let's move on to, uh, Twin Peaks' own Dougie Jones. Yeah, so, uh, Doug Jones, uh, has is another bland um, fucking white Democrat who was elected in the South, and people are acting like that is a massive, massive victory for all of us. But Doug Jones doesn't think that Trump should have to face justice, basically, for his fucking, like, history of sexual assault. (laughs) This is a completely safe assertion, for a newly elected Doug Jones to make, especially when he has the credibility of a national platform after beating noted child fucking... Judge Moore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, he is... Child like, talking's all you really need. Yeah, it's awful. He's um, also racist and homophobic and transphobic. But Yeah, but we, we talked about that he's already. He's a piece of shit. Let's forget he ever existed. I mean, yeah, like you said, this is a safe position for someone who just, I mean, I guess, you know, he didn't win by very much against the child fucker. (laughs) His margin was pretty slim, but um, at any rate, like, it shouldn't be hard to condemn Donald Trump for, like, real actions that he has done that have hurt real people. But he apparently was saying that, like, he's like, people have had time to, like, pass judgment on him. And they haven't, so it's good. And it's like, like I, I, I don't know, his credibility just hurts so much. He's suggesting that if if the voters had, had voted Roy Moore in, then what Roy Moore did should not be disqualifying anymore. For sure. No, you're right. He said it was in, like, the past. Like, he's basically, and I'm like, okay, it's, <laughs> yes, it, it's in the past and that it has actually happened and Donald Trump should get in trouble for it. That's the only time that the fact that it's in the past is relevant. That's the only argument to be made about that. Right, regardless of whether it's before or after he was voted into office. For sure, for sure. Um, but in general, it's just another continuation of how Doug Jones and, like, like no one asked him like nobody fucking like like he, he no one pressed him on it and he just he volunteered that shit like he the same thing with ralph mortham where he just they he mouth mortham was like by the way i'm no threat about medicaid i don't fucking care like i'm just here for the ride i'm here to be governor i have no interest in getting anything done i don't care about achieving power i don't care about increasing my party's power i'm just here i've got eyebrows fuck it so 
this asshole Bill Schur in Politico wrote an awful, awful article about Doug Jones. Uh, what will it take to beat Trump? The case for a generic Democrat. Democrats don't need inspiration or revolution to win in 2020. They just need someone bland and inoffensive, kind of like Doug Jones. For sure. Oh. For sure. This is, um, I think, the worst article I, we've ever discussed on this show. It seems like it reads like a parody. Um, it seems like a joke. But it's, I mean, the, I, it I, starts the first sentence uses the word to describe the de- Hillary's loss as a wipeout. So we're going to go through like the whole article. But I think before we jump into it, we need people to look up Bill Schur and like the image of his v- visage. <laughs> he's 45. He looks like he's 22, but still like balding. Um, he's just been a fucking like the worst kind of liberal pundit where he says basically like the problem with liberals is that they're too far to the left. Um, he's always, he, he is famous for one op-ed he did in 2012 called how liberals win, which argued that liberals should treat corporate power as a force to bargain with, not an enemy to vanquish. Like, he's just, he's the most conciliatory centrist, like doofus. Like he is, he is such a, um, I guess a naive conception of how politics works, uh, which as we've said is a theme on this show. Uh, and it's sad because honestly, it probably aligns with a lot of the way Obama thought about that stuff. Hundred percent. Obama reads fucking David Brooks every day. And- <laughs> <laughs> Why would you subject that to yourself? Why would you pollute your mind with that if you weren't trying to joke about it? Yeah. Would you rather have to order drone strikes or read David Brooks every week? (laughs) I'd rather drone strike myself. (laughs) All right. We're jumping into the article, Dad. Do you want to read it or you want me to read it? I want to do it. Democrats, still reeling from last year's wipeout, have been embroiled in a debate over how to fix what went wrong in 2016. Should they tack left or center? Woo white class voters with an ambitious economic agenda or double down on the base by blitzing Donald Trump on bigotry. Why the fuck can't they do both? (laughs) What the fuck? Prioritize healthcare, inequality, oligarchy, what? Democracy. (laughs) <laughs> like there's 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 a bunch of doors you gotta pick one <laughs> you can't do <laughs> oh god keep going doug jones did not support single-payer health care free college or 15 dollars minimum wage he did not swerve right on abortion or guns in fact he did not have any signature policy proposals at all what jones did was take off the shelf the most pallid democratic talking points quality affordable health care college must be affordable i believe in science discrimination cannot be tolerated and campaigned with a pleasant inoffensive demeanor he was boring he was safe he was mr generic democrat and it worked okay okay let's clarify he won by like a point over a pedophile. He won over a pedophile. He won over a guy who thought that 9/11 was like divine justice because oh, like America's nice to gay people. Come fucking on. Do you really think the people who voted for him were like, "Oh, thank God he said discrimination can't be tolerated. 
I think that was enough to make me not like the pedophile, racist, 9-11 div was divine Roy Moore. This is an absurd argument. Let me continue. That should make Democrats think twice about what they should be looking for in a 2020 political nominee. No, it shouldn't. Most of Democrats Wednesday morning quarterbacking after last year's election presume that to maximize base turnout and impress swing voters, same old, same old wouldn't do. One way or another, Democrats at least needed to be bold, but the downside of risk of boldness is polarization. What fires up one group can easily anger another. Oh my god. So universal health care would really turn off a whole bunch of uh, white working class voters. We don't want health care. <laughs> it's not like that was one of the reasons they fucking voted for Trump because he literally said he would do it. Yeah, he literally did say he was going to. I mean, he was lying and anyone could ascertain that. But as of far course. as politicians out there saying what they were saying, he did say, like, I'm going to continue your health care and not cut Social Security because people who are voting for him are. Excuse me, folks. I'm about to drop a slur here. They're old. The decidedly not bold Jones campaign pulled off a better trick by firing up the Democratic base while putting the Republican base to sleep by being a generic Democrat. Jones didn't call much attention to himself and instead let the harsh spotlight remain on Roy Moore's pile of controversies. <laughs> and then there's like a paragraph I'm going to skip, a few paragraphs about like very real stuff, like, yes, Doug Jones did uh, successfully prosecute two KKK members for a 1963 church bombing in Birmingham. Um, but again, do you think these civil rights uh, sort of successes really brought out a significant number of uh, people to the polls? I think that in general, people vote against, you know, stuff that they hate more than they vote for stuff that they like. Uh, that's like a theme of the two-party system, at least here. So well, Sam, you would be correct because a Washington Post sampling of black voters in Alabama found many showed up primarily to stop more, not reward Jones. They yeah. did not feel inspired to show up for a candidate in Jones who they felt did not aggressively pursue their vote. They were they were moved to wait in line, some people for hours, with the goal of keeping more from winning. Well, there you go. <laughs> If he dared to challenge party or orthodoxy, the Democratic base might not have turned out in force. Conversely, if he had campaigned with more left-wing edge, he might have convinced several thousand additional Republicans that they should set aside their misgivings about their own nominee and get out of the House to stop Jones. Jones stayed within the confines of generic genericness and got the turnout mix he needed. Come on. Various progressive groups that oppressed the Democrats the Democrats to shift left, such as Move On, Indivisible, and the Working Families Party have taken some credit for pouring resources into Alabama and boosting base turnout. And can the same strategy work in 2020? Polls already show that a generic Democrat would beat Trump handily. Might as well give the people what they want. Oh, God. Fuck Bill Sure. So he um, clicks... If you click the link that he put in there, Dan, um, it leads to a poll saying that S Bernie Sanders leads the leads Trump in 2020. Isn't it like the argument of these people that Bernie Sanders is like fucking Lenin? Yeah, I mean, he's exactly what they're not talking about. So he's just not even... 
adhering to his own argument. He's saying that Bernie Sanders is a generic Democrat, which I think maybe we think, but <laughs> I think that like centrist Democrats think that he's like Mao. <laughs> and then to skip ahead, he makes this argument that Warren G. Harding won the White House with the largest popular vote margin in history, thanks to the least inspiring campaign theme in history. Back to normal. At that time, America was in upheaval, labor unrest, racial unrest, domestic terrorism coupled with eroding civil liberties, a foreign policy in disarray after the Senate's rejection of the President Woodrow Wilson's highest priority, the League of Nations. All this had decimated the political standing of Wilson and the Democrats. Yet Republicans turned to Harding, who was summoned up by one convention delegate as the best of the second raiders. So, this is just, like... Wasn't Harding, like, super racist? Yeah, I mean, both of them were. <laughs> that wasn't even on the table. Like, he's, when he said, like, they disagreed on race relations, I think, like, that was, like, the 19th, that's, like, the height of scientific, like, racism's popularity amongst, like, people in the U.S., like, fucking Henry Ford, or basically, like, you know, it was very mainstream. He has no knowledge of history, is what I'm trying to say. Like, these, these, he literally goes on to say, like, Warren G. Harding was, like, one of the worst presidents in history. He's like, you should just vote for the worst dude impossible. I mean, he goes on to say, like, he has one part about, like, evaluating other Democratic candidates that I think is beyond hilarious. I'm going to quote it. If Democratic primary voters become convinced that they should be looking for the next Jones, then the early frontrunners, the pugnacious populist senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, as well as the garrulous and gaff-prone former Vice President Joe Biden. What a fucking terrible writer. Yeah, he's terrible. He writes like a college freshman. Strong personalities like Governors Andrew Cuomo of New York and Terry McAuliffe of Virginia may also be deemed too risky, along with those who tend to provoke on social media, such as Senators Cory Booker of New Jersey and Chris Murphy of Connecticut. Like, these are the people he thinks are, like, extremists. Rocking like, the boat, man. Just the most boring fucking people. He goes on to say that, like, um, Tim Kaine looks like a dad joke come to life and that that's, like, a good thing. It's like, you you fucking idiot. Like, these people, this this strategy lost in 2016. They did nominate the two most boring people in the Democratic Party in an attempt to do what you described with this fucking, you know, race between Doug Jones, who was, like, a normal, upstanding human being, and Roy Moore, who's just a walking stereotype. Not to mention we have a sample of two races in which this was attempted, and guess what? Donald Trump was a completely misogynist, disgusting hog, and he still uh, beat the, like, centrist, boring candidate. And, you know, the, the stupid thing is, like, to a minuscule degree, he's almost right, because, like, Doug Jones won in the end by one point. So if your point is that you can win by, like, one point over the worst person in the world, then sure, you're right. And Hillary Clinton kind of did something similar where she won by 3 million votes, but because Democrats are bad at playing the game of power, like we've said before, they, it doesn't matter. Like, she's still fucking lost by, like, a wide margin in the points that actually matter, which is the Electoral College. And Democrats are like, oh, well, the Electoral College is stupid and rigged. I'm like, well, what are you doing to get rid of it? Like, what are you doing to, like, make it so that people can come out and vote for you and their votes actually count? Like, you're wasting everyone's time if you complain about the rules that, like, keep you down when you have the ability to change the rules. Like, that's why you're in government. Sam, let's move on to an argument... A rare one from us that perhaps supports the military-industrial complex. Apparently there's some goddamn UFOs going on, and there's a video of it, and they're fucking real! 
the Damn real, it, real proof. The, Dan, let's link to the audio from this video that was revealed in this crazy, crazy New York Times article that did not get, like, any attention despite the fact that it confirms that, like, UFOs are totally fucking real. Dude, there's a fucking drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Everything is believable in 2017. Like, Donald Trump shattered everyone's psyche of, like, well, uh, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, UFOs? Why not? <laughs> like, like, imagine a few years ago this would have been shocking. Yeah, now everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. But um, I think the main thing the article revealed was that there's a lot of money in the Pentagon that goes to this UFO program. Shout out the schmuck Harry Reid. <laughs> yeah, apparently Harry Reid uh, believes. Um, I mean, at least he got something done. He said, I had talked to John Glenn a number of years before, uh, referring to the you know famous astronaut and former senator from Ohio. Um, and apparently John Glenn told him that he thought the federal government should seriously be looking into UFOs. I mean, he's been to space. Like, he knows what he's talking about. He's got firsthand experience. This story came out in the New York Times of a government program to research these UFOs dating back to, when was it, Sam? A couple of decades? No, it was more recent than that. Um, the contracts attained by the New York Times um, apparently show like a congressional appropriation of of just under $22 million beginning in late 2008 through 2011. I guess, yeah, it's about a decade ago, but still, uh, fairly recently. I mean, in 2009, uh, Harry Reid decided the program had made such extraordinary discoveries that he argued for heightened security to protect it. So to go into some of the discoveries, um, we have that video where, uh, courtesy of the U.S. Department of Defense, where that shows an encounter between a Navy um, F.A. 18 Super Hornet and an unknown object that is just like like they're, they're Dan they're like they're in a fighter jet like hurtling through the atmosphere and this thing is just like calmly floating in front of them it's rotating and, and it doesn't appear to have wings it's not no. like any craft that humans know how to build exactly and um, even more creepy than that for me um, is like this part this bit they have about these alloys that they found. This is like towards the end of the article, weirdly. Under Bigelow Aerospace's direction, the company modified buildings in Las Vegas for the storage of metal alloys and other materials that program contractors had said were recovered from unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, researchers were also studying people who said they had experienced physical effects from encounters with the objects and examined them for any physiological changes. <laughs> like, it's the real-life X-Files. And I hope we learn more about this as time goes on. Yeah, me too. This is the most important thing. It's Maybe they're reaching out to save us from ourselves. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Fuck it. Uh, it can't be worse than Republicans. So why don't we go towards the cinematic? Uh, we're revisiting Star Wars because honestly, Sam saw it. He took the bullet, and honestly, I think you enjoyed it. But I liked it. <laughs> you wrote a medium article that we're gonna link to, and I hope uh, people actually check this out because I read it without seeing the movie, and I feel like you wet 
all my interests. <laughs> all right, so I went to see it because I love Star Wars. I've loved it since I was a kid, unironically. Um, this is the pop culture corner, by the way. For sure. You're back in the pop culture corner, and once again, it's with Star Wars because Star Wars is, like, is a cultural phenomenon. Um, but when when I saw it, I couldn't... I didn't want to go in and, like, politicize something that I've loved since I was a kid, obviously. But um, it's not really my fault that this has been politicized. Like, Vanity Fair had an article talking about... Um, Specifically getting into, like, the gender politics of the movie, um, the title of it is, like, Star Wars The Last Jedi Offers the Harsh, con- harsh Condemnation of Mansplaining We Need in 2017. <laughs> and I- I'm not trying to mansplain this or anything, but... Um, I also want to say that we might drop some spoilers, but we're gonna... Lots of spoilers. No, okay, you want to do lots of spoilers? Okay, spoiler alert. I'm just airing on the side of, like, I have a big mouth and people get, like, I wouldn't want to hear anything about it before I saw it. Alright, fuck it. You might hear some spoilers if you haven't seen it. Honestly, who cares? It's apparently sucked. Yeah, turn the fucking tape off. It's fine. And the rest of the show is going to be about Star Wars. Uh, well, we have a story after this, but we can just put the, like, the bookmark in the show notes. Anyway, um... This movie is like a very overt allegory of the kind of, I don't know, the way the resistance sees itself and also the way that baby boomers see themselves. Um, this movie is very long. It's like three hours long. Um, and it lit- takes off from the point of the end of um, The Force Awakens, which if you haven't seen that, I guess you don't listen to this either. Anyway, um, by the end of the, of the Force Awakens, like the the First Order, um, who were kind of Nazi-ish, <laughs> um, like, or, you know, the bad guys, basically blow up five planets in a preposterous act of CGI ecocide, and that destroys, like, the whole government of the galaxy. Um, so the Resistance, which was named in the Force Awakens, was not specifically named for the hashtag Resistance, is now fleeing the First Order. Um, they're on the run from, like, planets, like, that have been destroyed. And, like, the first scene, the, it really tipped me off because um, Poe, played by Oscar Isaac, like, his, who's, like, the hotshot pilot of the Resistance, like, single-handedly takes on this uh, Star Destroyer, which is, they um, they make, like, the, the, all the old ships and like technology just a lot bigger in these films it's like a a trend i've noticed in the disney star wars films it's like so he's not only facing like regular star destroyers which are really big he's facing like a much larger one called a dreadnought which has like much bigger guns on it and you're supposed to be like scared of this um but he's like dicking around uh general hux who is the leader of like the military forces of the first order whatever um and he's, like, dicking him around on the phone. There's lots of, like, terrible, campy, sarcastic dialogue in this film. And um, he starts to lead, like, a very, like, balls-out attack on this ship. And, like, he defies General Leia Organa, who is present in, like, a different ship. And she's like, you can't be this, you know, aggressive, Poe. Uh, we're trying to keep people alive. And Poe's like, no, the opportunity to take down this Star Destroyer is too great. So we got to go in and do it. And I started thinking, I was like, this is how people think, like, Bernie Sanders is. Like, people think that, like, uh, I, th- I I started to see, like, Leia 
as Hillary Clinton and Poe as Bernie Sanders. And then I kind of built it out from there. But um, the movie's very long and kind of like weirdly incoherent at times. Um, I don't want to go plot for plot here, but let's just go through perhaps some of the main allegories you noticed. Yeah, the main thing I noticed was the Bernie Sanders thing at first, where Poe is like later chastised um, by women on the um, ship. Like he kind of has to like learn his place. Um, he gets demoted by Leia, and then he gets like he thinks that he's up for a promotion at one point, and then he gets like passed up, um, even though the person who does get the promotion is like outranked him anyway. But and he's uh, portrayed as quite reckless. Yeah, reckless, but also, like, vaguely sexist. And the other character I noticed something weird about was Finn, played by John Boyega. Finn has a a sidekick, or, like, a, you know, not a sidekick, I don't want to, like, diminish her her role. But Finn gets involved in, like, an extended plot in this film with a character named Rose. And they go on this side plot to, like, track down a code breaker... And they have it from a good source, which is Maz Kanata, played by Lupita Nyong'o in CGI, who tells them that they needed one specific code breaker. And I, I started to think with these characters, I was like, this is how older people view millennials. Because they're totally, like, in this film, they're very incompetent. Like, like Finn later has a very cool battle scene where he, like, has, like, a like a melee battle against, like, a badass stormtrooper. And, like, that was very Almost cool. like how millennials can use apps. Like, like your millennial can can order you uh, an Uber and, like, send it somewhere, like, just like Finn can destroy, like, these evil foes, but (laughs) ultimately, like, the movie does what to this uh, millennial uh, allegory, would you say? Like, it demonstrates that he's weak and dumb. Okay, so Finn get, like has been criticized a lot as a character for his competence issues, as far as people think that he tends to not like, <laughs> they, as if like his character got nerfed because Disney is like afraid of portraying like a competent black man in a movie like this. Um, but like that problem continues, I think, in this film where he's like, he's very inco- like incompetent. Like it sucks. Like he has that cool battle scene that I described, but up until then, he and Rose go on this totally pointless jaunt. Um, to solve a problem and they end up getting you know spoiler they end up getting double cross and the whole time they're just so impressionable and dumb like they just they they've they at one point there's this weird scene where one of them saves the other and um but but they don't really they save them from an immediate threat but they're still an impending threat i'm trying not to spoil things but like they were just all their actions were so inconsequential as to the plot of the film they really don't end up in influencing the plot in any way and they're just like on screen for you to get invested in and it was just it rubbed me the wrong way so strict because i was just like you could make these characters like more fleshed out and competent and like have them do something important like you can improve the writing you have enough money behind this film but they just they were so utterly incompetent and then um the other thing was uh, the way that Luke Skywalker interacts with Rey, played by Daisy Ridley. Um, and uh, I, I think Rey is, like, the coolest character. I love Rey. But the way the, the politics between the two of them was very, like, baby boomery. Uh, I, I described uh, Luke as Bill Clinton. 
<laughs> because he's just like kind of represents like this and bill clinton was the first baby boomer president he kind of represents like this old head like not like wisdom and like power he like literally dusts his shoulder off in one scene um i don't know in general it was like a pretty the film was i enjoyed it but it was very preposterous um there were weird applications of the force um the ghost of yoda uses lightning to blow up some shit like <laughs> which i didn't know the force like extended to like being zeus <laughs> um can i read the, my favorite part yes now it's time for my favorite weird as fuck scene in this movie in a silent shot we are floating in space where we see leia cribbing hillary esco tire and tumbling through deep space ice has formed on her skin and face but to our surprise, she moves her hand and arm slightly. God, Neil deGrasse Tyson must have done his usual, like, you obviously can't, can't float in space and survive without breathing. Sorry. Um, she then literally uses the force to hurtle through space and re-enter the spaceship she was blasted out of, all while in a coma. This, for me, represents the period after her loss in the 2016 election, and deep space is the woods of Chappaqua, New York. Hillary wandered Christ-like before realizing she had the political capital here embodied by force to retake her throne as the rightful queen of the Democrats. I just love that. The description is so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not mixing words like the that's literally what happens in the fucking film. <laughs> like she's just like floating. I, I there were a lot of things that were shocking about this movie, um, but I, it was very telling that like um, this guy who was sitting next to my girlfriend, who was like I'm gonna guess is like in his 40s or 50s, was just like the most average dad, and he was cracking the fuck up especially like in one scene where luke van i'm sorry luke uh skywalker is doing like some lightsabery shit um and, and especially when luke skywalker brushes his shoulder off like the this old head was just like laughing his ass off like i could tell like he felt empowered by the film like in a way i think it was just like a very like kind of liberal democrat like um fucking uh baby boomer like pat on the back it was it was i guess because like they're assuming that like the people who are going to see this film are going to be like kids or they're going to be um of that demographic where like they saw it in the 70s um when it first came out and now they're like older they feel outpaced by like apps and snapchat like they feel like you know kylo ren is their son (laughs) kylo ren i think represents the (laughs) alt-right he's like a millennial man he's a pepe boy yeah, like he's, he's a total a, edgelord. He's a 4 channer. <laughs> yeah, he, he posts a lot on r slash the Donald. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just thought it was, like, a very funny way to, like, interpret the film. Um, oh, and that, and like, gross, like, snor- snorkel or whatever that guy's name is. General Jeb Snow- Bush. Played by Gollum. <laughs> the guy who plays What's Gollum. What's his name? General, S- General Smokel? General Snoke. Oh my god. Yeah, you said he's Jeb Bush because he's like basically <laughs> irrelevant and like hideous and like <laughs> he, <laughs> he represents like, just like Yeah, you said he was like a ball bag of a creature. <laughs> I did steal that term from Jesus and Miro, so shout out if they're listening to this, please retweet the podcast. Um, alright, let's move on to 
our final segment of the episode, unless you have anything else. Nope. It's story time, and Sam, as a child, we have heard his story of interacting with the Secret Service and being lifted off his feet when Hillary Clinton was signing books in his vicinity. Lifted off my feet by, like, a rope, which the Secret Service, like, rammed into my neck. They didn't hang me, but they like they rammed it in there. They they saw me and just pushed through. So I felt wronged. This time Sam's talking about his first time visiting the White House. Let's go. That's right. Okay, so the first time I visited Washington D.C., I was uh, I think it was eight. I was in second grade. Um, it was auspicious because I you know obviously I moved down here later in life, but uh, I it was back before nine eleven, so you could actually tour the White House. And I was online for the, it was in the middle of February, so it was pretty cold. And I finally made it in. And I was wearing these, like, I was wearing Tim's because, you know, I'm, I'm from the New York area. <laughs> and uh, I was going through the metal detector. And the thing with Tim's is that they have, you know, steel toes. So it set off the metal detector, but they couldn't tell what it was. So the next thing I know, I'm just like, like, I'm fucking restrained by, like, three Secret Service people. This is actually before the Hillary Clinton thing. So it made the Hillary Clinton thing a lot more dramatic. But this is also, this is when Bill Clinton was in office. So I was, like, slammed against the wall. These dudes are wanding me, like, up and down with, like, their metal detector and shit. Uh, my mom is losing her shit. Like, she, like, I think she beat up, like, four of the Secret Service dudes before. Like, did, they, like, like, the did they, like, grope your uh, nether regions? No, but they were, like, I, I couldn't breathe. Like, they were forceful. I was eight, so, like, and, like, three big dudes were holding me against the wall and, like, searching me with this wand. I, mean, I bet it, like, strayed across my, like, you know, prepubescent, like, manhood, but still. Uh, mainly, it was a traumatic way to enter, like, what is supposed to be, like, this, this the White House, like, this shining, like, example of, like, good governance and like american history and tradition and like i i guess like the american lie the the american dream never really like had a chance with me because as soon as i showed up the first thing i knew was like these fucking dudes in suits like assaulting me yeah that's uh that's quite a way to enter and did you get through after that yeah i did and the rest of the tour was pretty cool i mean I don't remember that much of it, but I remember it being extremely cool to me when I was like eight. I thought that I, I, I probably was, I think um, one thing I had with it was that my parents were like, you see, you can't, you can't try any, not to blame my parents for this, but they said like, you can't try anything with the secret service. They're very serious. <laughs> so I was like, it's my fault. <laughs> I shouldn't have worn the Tims. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, are you supposed to tell the kid that, he should like disobey the secret service or do you just abide until the end of the day and then perhaps... yeah no i think now they're like it was very wrong of them to do that but i guess this is like just something they said afterwards and it stuck with me i was like you can't you have to obey authority because they have the right to like attack you physically <laughs> well we're gonna be back next week and I think we're in 2018 after that, so it's going to be a new year of plunging, and I hope you all keep joining us. Uh, Sam, any final words? Well, 
2018 can't be worse than 2017, but we should we should still probably you know try to make it so that it's a little better than 2017. We shouldn't rely rest on our laurels and uh, you know cruise further down the toilet is what I'm saying. And if Robert Mueller does get fired, can we not like act like he's Jesus? Just like appoint someone else. Just like, what? The, the end goal is for Trump to get in jail. The end goal is not for like Mueller to be put on a pedestal. He has like no valuable like personality traits to offer you. So stop acting like he's fucking Captain America. It's <laughs> a good All night. Right. Yes, sir. Good night. Good night.